0: Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. You're listening to episode number 212 here on this Thursday. I know the first segment was a little doom and gloom, right? We are facing uh, a very uphill challenge here in the state of Utah with these new COVID-19 numbers. Uh, And if you look at our numbers and our percentages, our rates, and you compare those to the rest of the country, uh, we're not faring so well there either. We are falling short by Utah standards, and we are not leading the pack uh, across the country, that's an unfortunate thing, and it's uh, it's an unfamiliar territory for the state of Utah. We, usually, we are leaders in all in all categories conceivable, uh, and in this in this instance, uh, we're falling short. We're falling behind a bit, and it breaks my heart. And all we can really do is uh, redouble our efforts. I, I'm going to get off this uh, this soapbox here in just a moment. I want to talk to you uh, about something that took place in Washington D.C. Uh, just this morning. There was a, a little vote. You may have heard of it (laughs) there uh, over the past few weeks, as you well know, been much attention being paid to the Supreme Court of the United States, specifically a vacancy uh, which was created by the passing of the late now Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Amy Coney Barrett endured hours and hours of grilling by both Republican and Democrat members of the Senate Committee on the Judiciary. And today, today, uh, led by Chairman Lindsey Graham, uh, Amy Coney Barrett received a favorable, uh, favorable vote, and the nomination of her to the Supreme Court has been moved to the full floor of the United States Senate. Mr. Chairman, the votes are 12 yeas, 10 no votes. The nomination will be reported favorably to the floor with a unanimous vote. Did you hear those numbers? Yeah, tw- 12, f- 12, 4, 12 yay votes and 10 no votes. What happened was, and I won't dwell on this too much because it's a really, uh, at least in my opinion, an exercise in uh, theatrics, but all the Democrats of the Senate Committee on the Judiciary opted not to attend nor participate in the vote today. So uh, not not voting for, certainly, and not even voting against. Uh, And in a move of protest, at least that's how it's been seen by some, uh, they instead opted not to show up to the committee room, nor did they cast a vote. Instead, if you remember during the questioning period when Judge Amy Coney Barrett was there, uh, all of those back and forths that led to her holding up a blank sheet of paper saying, I didn't take any notes for this. Well, uh, if you remember... Uh, one of the common themes of the Democrat questioning was to first start by sharing an anecdotal uh, experience of a constituent of theirs who had unfortunately fallen on some tough times in terms of their health, and then uh, the point they were making was that without the uh, uh, without Obamacare, the ACA, that the the suffering of that constituent of theirs would only be amplified, as they may find themselves. Uh, without health care. And, uh, you know, you translate that all out. The view held by the Democrats, or at least the view communicated by the Democrats on this Judiciary Committee, uh, was that was that a vote for Judge Barrett is a vote against the Affordable Care Act. And you'll have to sort that out and decide for yourself if you agree with that. Um, and, you know, let that belief Communicate itself at the ballot box here someday. Anyway, uh, besides the point, the numbers carried the day, and the recommendation moves on to the full uh, Senate floor. I believe that that vote will come on Sunday, and so next week, uh, the work week begins with a brand new member of the Supreme Court. If all goes thing, if all goes according to Republican plans, right now. Uh, okay, that that's all kind of backdrop. Just a quick little detail and an update to the saga of this Supreme Court nomination. The reason I bring it up, well, because it happened this morning and it's substantial, but also uh, just yesterday I uh, found myself reading the New York Times and I encountered a story uh, that that troubled me. Now, it wasn't the story in itself that troubled me. It was uh, what became very clear to me the methods undertaken to write the story. I'll read for you the headline, and then I'll share with you my observation. The New York Times headline, uh, which came in the the, the published edition just yesterday, reads, An earthquake, an orphanage, and new beginnings for Haitian children in America. Sounds wonderful, right? It it, it sounds great. And I I am well aware, from the experience of, of people very close to me, that Uh, The the generosity of many American families when they open their doors and adopt orphans uh, from Haiti, that it is in many instances quite literally a lifesaver. And so I'm not disparaging anything about uh, about this practice. But what is buried in this article is that it's not necessarily uh, about Haitian children being adopted into American families uh, in general, but very specifically the adoption of two children. By an American family, the two children in the family of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, the New York Times spent weeks and weeks and weeks digging into the circumstances behind the adoption of these two Haitian children who now find themselves members of uh, Amy Coney Barrett's family. And as soon as I realized what what I was reading and the research that must have gone into it and the details that are shared about these young people, I, I asked myself, is that is that right? Is, is that something that should be done? Is that a decision that should be made by a news organization that we are going to dig into the history of these two little children? I didn't want to make up my mind right away. I wanted, I wanted to keep an open mind maybe there is some justifiable justifiable explanation uh and and so I went digging and I looked uh, to the past to find some measure of clarity in fact I would put this question to you uh wh- what do you think is it appropriate to dig into the history uh and the background and the experience of these two children in the Barrett family uh, adopted from Haiti. Uh, In the next segment, uh, after the news, I'm going to open the phone lines. I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. The number, 801-575-8255. Again, 801-575-8255 is the number. Just after 1 o'clock, it'll be you and me talking here on the radio. Uh, But before we get there, uh, as I was trying to make up my mind as to whether or not uh, this was... a a correct thing to do, a right thing to do, a moral, ethical thing to do, I I found myself, as I often do, uh, looking backwards. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that something very similar happened in 2005. In 2005, the very same publication, the New York Times, was digging into the adoptions of two children in the home of then Supreme Court nominee, John Roberts. John Roberts uh, has adopted two children. And when it was revealed that the New York Times was digging into the details of that adoption, the National Council for Adoptions, uh, they they quickly put together a a press release. And in it, they said, and this is dated August 5th, 2005, uh, the the release, the response by the National Council for Adoption uh, said the following. Uh, it says, following reports that the New York Times has initiated an investigation into U.S. Supreme Court nominee John Roberts' adoptions of his children, the National Council for Adoption has issued the following statement Quote, NCFA denounces, in the strongest possible terms, the shocking decision of the New York Times to investigate the adoption records of Justice John Roberts' two young children. The adoption community is outraged that. For obviously political reasons, the Times has targeted the very private circumstances, motivations, and processes by which the Roberts became parents. The adoption histories of four- and five-year-old children have no bearing whatsoever on the suitability of Justice Roberts to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court or in any other position for that matter. Rather, this abject invasion of privacy shows a shameful disregard for the integrity of the family in general and the adoptive family in particular. I would echo every single one of those words and I would repeat them to the New York Times as I learn that they again, again, only 15 years later, are digging again. Into the adoption experience, circumstances, motivations, and processes of a Supreme Court nominee. Welcome back to live, Mike. Into the one o'clock hour now here at KSL News Radio. Remember tonight, the final debate between the two candidates for president, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, kicks off at uh, is it seven o'clock? Amy, is that what time it comes on? Seven. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 this evening we've got a countdown or something uh, looking forward to it we'll talk about uh, later on today on the program. we'll talk about what is to come. some of the predictions. I conducted a poll last night, uh, a survey of sorts asked a bunch of questions about uh, your plans tonight, uh, whether or not you're decided and then I asked some questions about your children. Will you be inviting your children to participate? i'll share with you those poll results uh, towards the end of the program. But right now we're talking about the family unfortunately we're talking about the family of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. She, this morning, uh, received a unanimous vo- vote of support from the Senate Committee on the Judiciary to forward her nomination to the full floor of the Senate. Now, it's it's a unanimous asterisk, right? And that asterisk, if you read it down there at the bottom, it says, uh, yeah, it was unanimous, but that's only because all the Democrats, uh, they boycotted the vote, never showed up. And so uh, all Republicans there present, the 12 of them voted in favor, and then, uh, and then, it was the Democrats uh, absent. Uh, they opted not to even vote against, and so you know what? Technically, that's a unanimous vote. That's going to be a pretty good thing to claim there down the down the road. The biography of uh, Judge Barrett in years and years to come will likely say something along the lines of unanimous. Right? That'd be a cool. That'd be a cool headline for a, a biography: unanimous support, something like that. Anyway, uh, what we're talking about here has to do specifically with the adoption. Of two of her children, the the quick backstory is in two thousand and five, when now Chief Justice John Roberts was being considered for nomination, uh, or rather considered for a confirmation by the United States Senate, it was revealed that the New York Times was digging into the the circumstances surrounding the adoption of two of his children. And uh, there was a, uh, a national organization, the National Council for Adoption. Uh, when they caught wind of that, they denounced. They denounced the decision uh, of the New York Times in the strongest of terms to investigate that adoption. They talked about the Times for political reasons targeting the very private circumstances, motivations, and processes by which the Roberts uh, became parents. And as I read that and learned that the New York Times was at it again, in fact, uh, it wasn't just that I learned that they were investigating this family. I learned they'd actually published an article. Yeah, it's out there. We know exactly where her children came from. We know the circumstances of the adoption. We know everything about them. And you may say to yourself, yeah, well, Lee, uh, if you have been paying attention, you have heard the judge herself uh, in the Rose Garden, in the committee chambers of the United States Senate Committee on the Judiciary. You know that she has spoken about her family time and time again. Yeah, you're exactly right. But guess what? That does not open the door for you and I to pry and stick our noses into those private lives, okay? She is the marshal of that information. She is the gatekeeper of the backgrounds of her children. If she chooses to share something with us publicly, then we are entitled to that information. But until and unless that decision is made by her and her family, it is none of our business, and it's not the business of the New York Times. I want to share one last point here, and then I want to go to the phones. Uh, And if you want to weigh in on this, please, the phone lines are wide open, 801-575-8255. Am I off base here? Uh, Should the background of her adopted children be fair game? Yeah, I don't think so, but I'm open to uh, hearing otherwise. We'll get to the phones in just a moment, but I want to share with you a few details. This comes from the Twitter uh, of the of one of the reporters, so-called, who wrote this article for the New York Times, a, a Catherine Porter. Uh, she starting here at the beginning. She uh, she says she opened her heart. Well, this is a, a quote from President Trump. She shares she opened her heart uh, and her home and adopted two beautiful children from Haiti. So, what is Catherine Porter, reporter with the New York Times, what's her reaction to that? It is, so we set out to find the orphanage they came from. <laughs> That's your reaction? That's it? Yeah. Uh, the, it's one of those long Twitter threads. I won't bore you with everything it says, but I want to read this one here. Uh, this is the sixth of countless tweets in this thread. Catherine Porter, uh, again, one of the reporters who authored this uh, report in the New York Times about the adoption. The circumstances behind the adoption of two of Judge Barrett's children, she writes, there are more than 500 orphanages in Haiti, according to some statistics. But since few are registered, no one really knows. It took us weeks to find the orphanage the Barrett kids were adopted from. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that it took Catherine Porter weeks to find the orphanage the Barrett kids were adopted from? I, I... you know, it's tough to read like inflection and tone and all that in in the written word, and so you know, I'm probably inappropriate reading it the way that I am. Maybe not the way she intended to write it, but it just strikes me as cold that there was uh, a story to seek out. And so, what did they do? They started combing through the records of orphanages in Haiti, and it took them weeks to find the orphanage that the Barrett kids were adopted from. You know why it took you? You know why it took you weeks? And what does that tell us? It tells us that you did this without the blessing and the support and help and approval of Judge Barrett. It wouldn't have taken you weeks if you had had uh, Judge Barrett as, as a partner in this effort. Instead, no, you uh, went around her and you started digging into the background of her children. It's invasive, it's wrong, it's predatory, and I'd go a step further, it's evil. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Uh, I've got on the line Darren from Cedar Hills. Darren, what do you say about all this? Hey, I agree with you, and I appreciate you bringing up the issue. I I think most of us would assume that the New York Times' motives are not pure for digging into it this way. But I think it's an opportunity as well for the rest of us and people like you in the the media bringing it up to actually talk about the positives of adoption and using Judge Barrett as a positive example for adoption. Most people, politics aside, most people want less – Abortions. Well, in the same discussion, why aren't we talking about there will be an increased need then for adoptions? And here's a great opportunity to use a great example of of a young couple who decided to do that. Yeah. Now you you make a you make a great point, uh, and and I would only echo that. Some of my greatest friends, closest friends, growing up uh, adopted. Their experience was wonderful, and you learn some circumstances where adopted children are taking from. Uh, or at least liberated from very trying circumstances. And it's a, a noble thing for both uh, the, the individual who views their circumstance and knows that there is a better life elsewhere for their child and engages the adoption system, and then there is great nobility observed in those who engage it as adoptive parents. Uh, Darren, you're absolutely right. Uh, thank you for the point that you bring up. Uh, anyway, I, I'm going to calm down on on this story. Uh, and I just, as we have you know, come to know that there are children, young children, in the lives of, you know, very well-known politicians. I think that we have many examples of respect being paid and distance being uh, observed and respected. You think about uh, Baron Trump. Uh, he has, and I applaud uh, media for doing so, he has enjoyed uh, privacy. He has jo- enjoyed uh, you know he's been he's lived a life free of controversy. I think the only uh, real substantive anything we have learned about Barron was in the blog post from First Lady Melania Trump, as she described recently that uh, when she and her husband, the President President Trump, came down with the coronavirus, that so too did their young son Barron. Uh, you know when when the news came across that the the President and First Lady had contracted the coronavirus, you know we didn't go digging. Uh, I can't imagine that uh, that the New York Times spent hours and hours and hours uh, looking into and trying to figure out whether or not. But no, we respected his his distance and his privacy, and that comes uh, at the request of people like Hillary Clinton, or I'm sorry, uh, Chelsea Clinton, who uh, experienced a, a similar lifestyle for a time. We respect them. We ought to respect the children uh, of everyone in high profile places, and even in low-profile places. All children ought to be respected. There's the big takeaway. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, I want to share some details with you about a, a remarkable piece of technology coming out of Brigham Young University. Uh, director of the Nanos Foundation is my guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me.